This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for off the rousing start. With you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, recording on Sunday morning. So if any craziness happens the rest of today, uh, you won't hear about it now. Jeremy Cohen, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great, John. We're moving along. I am excited at the fact that the NBA season is almost at a close because it means we're that much closer to the offseason getting into full swing. Although I will miss basketball, but I, I've been enjoying this Denver Nuggets beatdown. It's been pretty fun, and I expect them to win one more game. So yeah, I and I expect it. them to win Game Five at this point, which would make my—I forget if I had said Nuggets and Six or Nuggets and Seven. Either way, I have a feeling I'm going to be wrong. Um, so this is going to be a, a bit of a shorter episode um, because of some some stuff that we don't have to get into as to why it's going to be a sh- bit of a shorter episode. But uh, I'll just say at the top that there have been. Some some rumors uh, slash reports in the last week. Um, the Suns like Emmanuel quickly. Good for them. Uh, they may waive Chris Paul. Um, the Timberwolves may look to trade Carl Anthony Towns. A um, couple of things I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, nothing that came across the, the wire that I would deem as something we really need to get that deep into quite yet and as that stuff does come across the wire stuff that has a little more legitimacy in terms of Nick's tie-ins and whatnot um, you're going to hear about it on here and we'll do the appropriate deep dive Um, but for today today if I could say get the word out we're going to trudge on forward with our cap or no cap series Uh, and as usual I am in complete completely in the dark as to what Jeremy has for us today. So I'm excited uh, to turn it over to him and, Perfect. and, and, and the master of the, the master of the PowerPoint. Here we go. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yes. So this will be, what should be really the last cap or no cap of this year. I know sad, but I thought we've accomplished a lot. Um, and here we're working with, uh, well, if you can, you can see the screen, John, or you can ask the screen. I can see you on my okay, screen. And I can see myself also on my screen. Okay. I can't see any, any any of your delightful PowerPoint though. Fun. All right, let me try this again. Um, Wait, now I see something. There's a little box. This is exceptional podcasting, folks. Ah, there it is. Wait, no, no, because no, but but I uns- I unshared it. It's great. All right, perfect. Uh, share. Let's hope now the Knicks front office operates with a bit more proficiency than we are operating right I, now. I think ah, it, it's been a morning of things. So. Well, you got it now. We're looking. I, at I it. see Missy Elliott yes. on my screen. So mid-level exception. Is it worth it? Let me work it. And then I had that. You know, that's why I had to do it. So yeah, we're going to talk about the mid-level exception today, um, because obviously that is really the only way that the Knicks can add a decent free agent. And that's the question: Will it be a decent free agent? So I wanted to start off first by just running through mid-level exception signings over the last 
four years, I believe. And this was um, for those at home who might not know, there's the non-tax mid-level exception, the NTMLE, and then there's the tax mid-level exception, the TMLE. Usually MLE is considered just uh, the non-tax, but uh, and we're going to talk about that. But I looked at the signings that were greater than the taxpayer mid-level exception just to see what would happen and how those signings worked out. So in the 2019-20 season, really the 2019 offseason, five teams signed players to an amount that was greater than the tax mid-level exception. And those players, it was the Mavericks signing Seth Curry. Uh, he was 29. The Pistons signing Derrick Rose. He was 31. The Grizzlies signing Tyus Jones. He was 23. Uh, the Magic signing Al Farouk Aminu, it was 29, or he was 29. Uh, and Ish Smith signed by the Wizards at 31. Now, the two that worked out were Seth Curry and Tyus Jones. Seth Curry, of course, was traded to the Sixers a year later, and Mark Cuban uh, regretted that immensely. It was a, for Josh Richardson. Al Farouk Aminu was an awful signing. Uh, Derek Rose turned into a Nick. You know, it wasn't a great signing for them necessarily, but it, it I mean, he was out for the Knicks. It was good cool. for Detroit, and we we should say, yeah. just shocking that the Mavs uh, made an error in their in their front office. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought? There. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was 2019-20. and then in the 2020-21 season, there were a lot of signings actually. So Celtics signed Tristan Thompson, who was 29. Nuggets signed Jamichael Green, 30. Uh, Clippers signed Serge Ibaka, 31. Lakers got Montrez Harrell, 27. Bucks got DJ Augustine, 33. Suns had Jay Crowder. He was 30. Trailblazers, they signed Derek Jones Jr., 23. Raptors signed Aaron Baines, 34. The Jazz got Derek Favors, 29. And lastly, the Wizards had Robin Lopez, 32. So basically, this through, list, th yes, through, through two off seasons here that we've looked at, there's 14 or 15 players, and only uh, two you'd define as kind of like young or on the younger end and it's Derek Jones Jr. who's not exactly a world beater and uh Tyus Jones from the from the last side um who as you said turned out to be a pretty good sign. Exactly. And with this list, I mean it was just um a mess outside of Jay Crowder. Obviously he helped the Suns get to the finals that year, so that was important. But it was mostly older um, you know, so to speak, older, right? But big men yep. who just didn't do much. And these were backups for the most part outside of Jay Crowder. These were, this was depth because that's really what this exception is. It's for depth. Uh, you move to the next year. Okay. There were four players. Uh, one was Alex Caruso when he signed with the Bulls, who's 27. Reggie Bullock at 30, who left the Knicks to go to the Mavericks. Uh, PJ Tucker went to the Heat at 36 years old. And Kem Birch was 28 and signed with the Raptors. Caruso signing, phenomenal. And yeah. the, the Lakers never should have let him get away. That was just Ownership not wanting to spend money, and that was foolish. And the Heat did fine with P.J. Tucker, yeah. but of course he left. But he, he did a good run there. Bullock has not been great. And Birch is just, you know, I think he's out of the rotation for the most part anyway. So We, we should also say that Alec Burks, even though he was not signed to the mid-level, he signed for the exact equivalent of the mid-level exception for, for whatever that's worth. Exactly. That's true. And then uh, you move on to the, this past offseason. There are five players. It was Kyle Anderson, 29 years old, signing with the Timberwolves. P.J. Tucker, once again, at 37, signing with the Sixers. Gary Payton II, who's 30, signed with the Blazers. Malik Monk, 24, signed with the Kings. And uh, Delon Wright, at 30, with the Wizards. And of this list, Anderson was a great signing. Tucker was pretty good for them. 
Peyton is now no longer a trailblazer. He's back with the Warriors. With some injury uh, was, stuff there, too, mm-hmm. that was a little weird. Yeah, exactly. Monk, great signing for the great Kings. Sign. And Wright was actually strong for the Wizards. Uh, they're just a bad team. So it seems that they're, this was like the best offseason in a while for players making more than the tax pyramid level, but up to the mid-level exception, uh, the non-tax one. So just to kind of learn from these lessons, uh, age is really important. Don't pay for past performance, right? Like the five best signings were Seth Curry. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say Derek Jones Jr., but it really, again, it was fine. It was more just, he was young. He was 23. I don't know how good he was for the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, well, for the Blazers, he was. For the Blazers, for the Bulls, yeah, sorry. For the Bulls, he's cool. opting back in. Uh, Alex Caruso, great signing. Anderson was fantastic. Uh, and Monk, you know, all those guys were, the Curry was the oldest at 29. They were really 23, 24, 27 in Caruso's case. Uh, if you're signing a big man, consider spacing and ask yourself why that player is available. Talking about the the Trezes of the world, the Tristan Thompsons, any of these uh, Derek Favors, Jermichael Green, um, I mean, Green was a floor spacer. He just wasn't that great. He was fine. It's just depth at the the big man position. Maybe you could probably spend a lot less and you, mm. it's more worthwhile at that point. Um, unless they're a floor spacer and a good one at that. Uh, and that's where the shooting and the defense come into play. I think the best thing to use this exception for either a really good shooter um, or a really good defender. But you want to find a middle ground because Wright was a really good defender. Uh, the offense wasn't as good, but that was still a solid signing. Uh, and then just have expectations. Again, this is we're looking at a rotation player, but not someone who's going to be really good. I think that because of the excitement of what the Knicks can do or what a team can do with this exception, it kind of goes into, oh, well, this player, you get them and they're a, a great bench piece and maybe, but they also very easily could not be. It's kind of a pitfall. Uh, it's really about movable salary at the end of the day. This is more money that you have at your disposal. And as you keep moving along, the way that it works with teams is you need it's harder to, to add money to your payroll that you can then use to throw out in a trade. So using a mid-level exception can help. It's just how many of these players are actually uh, suitable players and not just contracts you can use to help grease the wheels on a bigger trade. And I would just throw in like, again, we're looking at over 20 players on this this exception or something between the tax player and the non-tax player over the last four years. I'm not sure I'd define any of them as like a steal. I guess Caruso or Monk would be the closest you'd come to a steal. I mean, if Caruso was on the open market, let's say last summer or even this summer, I mean, would he get, he'd get more than nine a year. How much more would he get? Would he, I mean, would he get the full mid-level now? He'd probably get the full mid-level now, but also like Caruso's dealt with some injury stuff. Monk, Really, he's probably the best this year in in Sacramento, and even him, if he was on the um, the open market this summer, um, which he actually he is on the open market this summer, right? Because it was was it a player option? or Am I making that up? I think it was a two year deal. It was a, two, it was a straight a two year deal. Okay, so we have to wait a year for Mugs uh, res- for Mugs unrestricted free agency. Um, but like, yeah, would I don't know? Is someone giving like Monk fifteen, sixteen a year? I don't know about that. Like, you're you're, I think you could sum this up with like. You're probably going to get what you pay. You're either going to get what you pay for, or you maybe get a little bit less than what you pay for with this. Yeah, I do think if Caruso hit the open market right now, he would make upwards of 15. Because if Josh Hart is making, <sighs> yeah, like, you know, if, if it's the ballpark of 17, 18 million dollars, I think Caruso. That's would fair. 
around. I'm just wondering with because he does have these like seemingly freak injuries every almost every year where he, that keep him off the court. But I, yeah, I, you're right. Someone would pay. The him defense is just so good, and the offense is is fine too. Um, oh, you you could argue yeah. he's the best perimeter defender in the league. That's yeah, and you pay for yeah. that. So we're gonna look at free agent guards uh, this year, right? And we're gonna look at under thirty and no restricted free agents again. The reason I keep going at 30 years old is because we just saw some of the best players that you could sign were under 30 years old. They were not over that. And I've taken out restricted free agents because the Knicks really have not been in the restricted game. It's really tough to get a restricted free agent to overpay and get a team to no longer match. Excuse me. So let's look at some of these players. These are the best unrestricted free agents likely hit the market. And this is in order of salary, not in terms of talent. Uh, previous salary that, or previous yeah, salary, salary coming off of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Gary Trent Jr. as a player option. Josh Hart is a player option. Taylor Horton Tucker has a player option. Bruce Brown, player option. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, Dante DiVincenzo, Terrence Davis, Javon Carter, Josh Kogi, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess. Uh, and then when you kind of just like narrow down the players that are likely to not be an option for the Knicks, or maybe they'll, opt out of their player option to sign a contract larger than the $12.2 million they'd have as a starting salary as part of the mid-level exception, you basically get down to four names. And it's Bruce Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, Gabe Vincent, and Max Struess. So let's talk about Bruce Brown. Uh, Bruce Brown is playing for the Denver Nuggets. They're a win away from the NBA Finals victory. And uh, Brown was saying last summer, everyone was talking about how he's going to get these big offers. And he never did. And he has a player option here. I mean, one option for him is he could opt into that player option and then Denver could sign him next summer to, uh, it was like the Bobby Portis type contract that have his early bird rights. They could, you know, he'd probably make starting at around 14 or 15 million a year. Maybe it depends on what the, the league average is there, but it's an option. The main thing for me with Bruce Brown is why is he coming to the Knicks? Um, And I don't mean that from a a talent standpoint. I mean that from a minutes per game standpoint. This is someone who has played 28 minutes per game or more uh, in two of the last four seasons. So where's the time coming from? I also just, uh, he is in probably the best situation for him, certainly as an offensive player to play with. I mean, look, you could say this about a lot of players play with Nikola Jokic is great, but like specifically a guy like Brown who has made his bones, uh, you know, cutting, you know, being a savvy player inside the arc and can also hit a three, but like to play with a guy like Jokic for a guy like that, that's just like catnip. Meanwhile, coming to the Knicks where, um, perhaps not as uh, not as much room to operate uh, inside the arc, as it were. 100%. And if you give him a larger contract, you're expecting a larger role from him. Exactly. you're yeah. saying, John, he's perfect in that role. Yeah. That's what he does. So I feel it's okay to move Bruce Brown off the table. We can. We get to Dante G- uh, DiVincenzo. Obviously, there's the Villanova connection, and he had a really good season last year, and all these thoughts of, could he be here? And it's a similar situation where DiVincenzo has really been playing, you know, I mean, played 26 minutes per game this year. The year before that, played 24, 27 and a half before that, 23 before that. He wants time. And there's just not enough time to go around, assuming the Knicks keep Josh Hart and keep Emmanuel quickly. If they moved Emmanuel quickly in some sort of larger star trade, you would understand it. Uh, not not like in terms of the minutes portion of it. We can have questions about should they have done this? Should they not have done this? But minutes wise, 
The only reason you'd bring DiVincenzo in is if you didn't have Quickly here. Would you say that's a fair comment? I would even go a step further. I mean, I wrote about DiVincenzo for the newsletter last week. And basically, I think the only realistic scenario is if there's a two-for-one trade. And it's not only Quickly going out, but another rotation wing going out because it would be two-for-one. You bring him back a star or kind of a star-ish player. Um, and then all of a sudden, you have the rotation spot open up. I think that for me, at least is the scenario where I could envision a guy like DiVincenzo who is going to want to come here. And like you just said, he's going to want to play, you know, close to 30 minutes a night. Yeah. And I think the other thing with DiVincenzo as well is I don't know what's real and what's a product of the warriors because I mean, obviously when you play with good players, you're likely to elevate your own game hundred percent. But then when you look at, you know, like the true shooting percentage, for example, he was in the 61st percentile. That's really good. Before that, he was in the 17th percentile. And I know he's battling injuries, so it's understandable. Yeah, the- but he was in the 35th year before that, the 49th before that, the 18th before that in his rookie year. So I just don't know, are you paying for the Warriors Dante DiVincenzo or are you paying for Dante DiVincenzo? It's tough I think to sort out. It, I think if you look at DiVincenzo, you basically, if you decide you want to take out the year after the year where he, he got injured in the in the playoffs uh, when he was playing for Milwaukee and just literally throw that year in the garbage because it was he didn't make his debut until Christmas and then there was another little injury thing and then he got traded to Sacramento and if you just want to look at his progression through from years one through three and then last year just those those four years to literally take out the actual fourth year of his career it's a step up in three point percentage every year and it's step up in some other areas of his game every year. But again, is is there like another step coming? Or like you say, is it going to be a step down if he goes from the Warriors to a team that isn't quite as as or uh you know stock with uh stocked with offensive gifted players. Exactly. So I don't I don't see him as an option realistically, but again, other things would have to change in order for that to happen. Um Gabe Vincent, you know, I mean Vincent obviously had a very good uh, playoffs. I'm still very wary in general. I, I don't see the Heat retaining Vincent and Struess based on the finances. I don't either. But, you know, I mean, he's just, he's a good defender who has a higher offensive floor. That's something the Knicks would like, but it, it goes to the minutes. Like yeah. 26 minutes per game. It's the he's same a starting situation. point guard for an NBA finalist. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> again, know? also, it's like, okay, so you can move Deuce. That's fine. But, well, you know, now how much are you playing him? Because you've got Jalen Brunson. Is he how much how much time is he sharing the floor with Jalen Brunson? Yeah. Has impact quickly. So many different things. So I, I just I don't see him as the most realistic option. And then Max Struess, who you know he's had moments, of course, where he's significant. Uh, the defense is just terrible. I'm at the point oh come on now, that's harsh. I'm saying, look, I, I on the court, sure, the defense can work. That's that's where the eye test and the um, uh, and the stats can can the, sometimes differ. The numbers say here, the defense has been the bad. numbers. It's bad. I mean, he was in the sixth percentile um, for defense according to you know defensive EPM. But again, that's where the eye test and bask and the stats are different. And I can't necessarily do both at once based on everything. So I rely on Benji and DJ and you and the other guys who are able to compile the video. So that, that I just don't have the ability to do as well. Stay in my lane. But it's it's it goes further to the point of okay. Why are you why are you still doing this? Because he played 28 minutes per game this past year. 
So why is he taking a backseat? And all this is kind of say these players, yes, that you'd have to swap someone out, but I just don't know why you were initially doing it unless it's a star trade and it's consolidation and you're then bringing him here and you really need to fill that seventh man type void, sixth man, whatever we want to call it. And is that something they really want? I don't know. Is that something they can get elsewhere? Probably. They can probably get the same amount of time and paid and a larger role in another organization. So I just, I'm without the moving parts, I'm skeptical that that happens, but we could probably say that about all of the other players that we're going to talk about. Cause I think yeah, the can, rotation is, has 10 guys. Essentially. If the Knicks don't send, if the Knicks don't open up a rotation spot from the current rotation, it makes little sense to spend 12 or close to $12 million on anybody in this free agent market. I think that's very fair to say. They would, this would need to be in conjunction with something else. And as far as Struis is concerned, I like Struis, but I think one of the most dangerous things you could do is probably is like to give the guy a contract right after he is kind of coming off of a very, not, I don't say magical run. He hasn't shot the lights out of the ball in the playoffs, but like he's been really good. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Is it possible he exceeds that next year moving forward? Yeah, it's possible. I, I like him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate a, a, a Struess um, signing, but he he would not be my my first choice. I don't think. It just feels like a Duncan Robinson type situation all over again. Uh, maybe I, again, I, more in the sense of Robinson has his moments too, but for a while he just wasn't living up to the contract, and yeah. it's just I don't think you should be paying role players like Struess that type of money. I just I, I don't think it's worthwhile. I, I think that that's fair. Uh, uh, yeah. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. Hey, what's up? Jonathan Macri here with our good friends at Oakley to tell you why Jalen Brunson's incredible first season in New York was more than meets the eye. Is it that Brunson became the first point guard in Knicks history to average at least 24 points a game? Is it that he became just the second player in NBA history to average at least 24 points, six assists, and under 2.5 turnovers? No and no! It's that he did both of those things all while playing on a below-market contract that will become even more valuable under the new collective bargaining agreement. So yes, we should all be very thankful that the Mavericks had to find out the hard way that Jalen Brunson is more than meets the eye. So, again, we're talking about players that are moving. So if we talk about Emmanuel quickly, we have to also talk about Obi Toppin. If Obi Toppin is moved, then it certainly makes sense to find a replacement. Now, there could be questions of why is it that you are moving Obi Toppin and then you're just using the money that you'd probably pay him next year to sign a replacement? And I think it's a valid question. It really comes down to assets because you 
you really are able to use the mid-level exception to sign someone. So there's a difference between, hey, we could just retain this player and keep them, or we could move this player and still find a way to replace them um, and actually come away with more than we had before. If you want to uh, say that's a terrible logic, that's fine. I, I, it's more just kind of the direction of it. It's, I'm not necessarily arguing one way or the other. It just seems like if we could get two assets instead of one, that's the philosophy. Question is, can you get an asset who is as good as what Obi is giving you? That's what we'll find out. It's also what's in your control, because right now with Obi Toppin, there is an element of a lack of control because, again, he's extension eligible this summer. And, you know, Keith Smith, front of the pod, Keith Smith, who you, who you uh, interviewed a year ago, um, did his extension uh, prognostications for Spotrack. Um, and he was like, listen, if Obi Toppin gets traded to a team that he'll actually play, I could see him getting four for 70. Um, I could pretty much promise you the Knicks have zero interest in paying Obi Toppin four years, $70 million to continue to back up Julius Randle and not really anything else. So swapping him out, getting the assets like you're talking about, but also getting a more cost controlled piece for the next two to three or or even four years um, financially just makes more sense. Agreed. So if you moved Obi Toppin, there are three ways to replace him. Um, One's the draft. You can still do that and you know, go through free agency to find a replacement for him. But question of is Tibbs going to play that player much? Obviously, he played Obi and quickly as rookies, but that was because there was no one really in front of them. Yeah, they. I mean, Quentin Grimes was stuck behind how many players? Different so situation too that year. Like for sure. first year, the team had zero expectations, and yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and here, I mean, I just wouldn't expect that player to get a ton of time. Maybe no. they would. But, uh, you know, are you moving Obi Toppin for another player and as a part of a trade as opposed to just draft equity? Uh, you could, but is that player going to be good enough to do what you want to do? Is the other team? Like, it's just, to me, it it doesn't feel like it would happen as easily. I mean, it certainly could, but you then get to free agency. There's certainly more in your control. You don't need to necessarily agree with another team. You need to agree with a player. I think that's just a likelier path than finding the right suitor, but it has to be the right player that you're getting back. So I want to talk about the free agents who are forwards um, who are under 30 and not restricted free agents this summer. Um, John, would you like to read this? Yeah, sure. So we got Mr. Porzingis with a player option. We got Jeremy Grant unrestricted. Mr. Kuzma with a player option. Um, Kelly Oubre Jr. uh, down there in Charlotte. Dylan Brooks. Dario Saric, Justice Winslow, uh, Derek Jones Jr., the aforementioned uh, DJJ, also with a player option. Uh, and uh, then Trey Lyles, Yuta Wananabe, Jalen McDaniels, not Jaden, Jalen, traded mm-hmm. to uh, Philadelphia this season and then found himself on the outs, uh, outskirts of the rotation there. Uh, and then Wendian Gabriel. Right. So figure when we pare this down a bit, there are four names here. It's Justice Winslow, Trey Lyles, Yuta Watanabe, and Jalen McDaniels. So look at Justice Winslow. Uh, he's 26 years old. He played the most he's played in a long time uh, last season for a very bad Portland Trailblazers team. The yep. defense has always been outstanding. It's the offense that's just abysmal, right? And I just don't see this as an option for the Knicks, um, especially to kind of handle that spot. They want someone who's a really good catch and shoot player. And that's just not who Justice Winslow is. 
at some point, I think there will probably be one team one year that will like figure out how to optimize Justice Winslow, and that'll be probably pretty fun. Um, I don't, I don't get the sense that that is the next year's New York Knicks. I applaud you still holding out hope that because he, he's figures like figures this out for him. You almost have to play him as like a like honestly like a point center on offense because you need to surround him with spacing but like his value is in his like ball handling and it gives you the size and then you could obviously switch a lot on it's all things the Knicks are not going to do sure uh, Trey Lyles another option uh, I think Lyles you know he's certainly efficient um, that's an important part he's played well with the Kings it's the defense that's just been really bad and the offense is certainly the last couple of years uh in Sacramento, especially, they've really found a way to make him a better player. Um, he takes a lot of threes. He, he did this past season. So I think he's a good option. I just wonder. And the, the, the rebounding is good, too. You know, like he was in the 70th percentile for that. On he was good this year. Blast. This is the best year of his career. Yeah, no, he's he's a good player. It's really just a more of, is this a fit? And from the Knicks perspective, as we talked about, kind of like operating in the client mindset, the defense just has fallen off in a way that I don't know if that's sustainable for them, but I don't want to like say, Hey, terrible option. I think he's a fine option. I just don't know if this is the direction in which the Knicks necessarily want to go, but I don't want to rule him out. I would, if they traded Obi, he, he's, he'd be near the top of the list of players. I would guess the Knicks would be tied to just, the Kentucky connection, although at the same time, I believe he's a clutch client, which kind of counter counterbalances the the Kentucky connection. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Jalen McDaniels. A really good defensive year last year. He's been fine. Uh, you know, a nice player. But I just don't I don't see the fit happening really here. Doesn't take enough threes that doesn't shoot them very well. Usually. Um He's a rotation piece, uh, but but he also isn't because he didn't exactly get a ton of time when he got to Philly. I don't know if that was a doc thing or just matchup dependent, but there was a reason he was available for as low as he was with the Hornets. It wasn't just because they didn't want to pay him. It's that they didn't feel he was necessary. And I I just don't see him getting a ton of money, but um, I just don't think he's a, a solid option for the Knicks themselves. I have not watched enough Hornets basketball over the last several years to sit here and pretend like I have a cogent opinion on Jalen McDaniels. I think he's an interesting player. Um, does not. It seems like he's at a place where his career could go in one of two directions right now. I mean, if this, you know, if he was out of the league in three years, would you be shocked? No. If he really put it together and really turned into like a big time rotation piece in three years, would you be shocked? No. But I, again, some reasons you could see the Knicks maybe kicking the tires here. I, I find it more unlikely than not because of the, like you said, the, just the lack of shooting. Mm -hmm. And he's just been kind of uneven across the board. Oh, he's been but, very uneven. Yeah. And it, yeah, he's a young player still. Yeah. And then there's Yuta Watanabe who had a nice uh, season. Like um, yeah. But I think that the thing about Yuta is, I mean, this year was so different from any other year he'd had before, right? Like the efficiency was really good. You know, the volume for shooting has always been up there for threes. This year, he just happened to make 44.4% of them. Um, it's really just a matter of, is this past season real? Because he was playing 16 minutes a game, which is perfect uh, from the Knicks perspective, because they're looking for someone to fill around that time. Um, but like, it's, it's crazy how this was his best offensive year and the offensive EPM grades him out in the 46th percentile. 
So there's got to be more to it than that because someone who's shooting 44.4% from three um, and finishes at a really good uh, clip at the rim, there should be more there on the offensive side. And there just wasn't. So it leads to questions of why isn't he more impactful? Why is it the numbers don't show that with everything good he's doing, he's that good of an offensive player? Um, worth questioning. Yep. And if you have any thoughts, but I, yeah, I like you to, I think he's a fun player. Every time I saw the Nets play the Knicks and any other time I watched the Nets, um, I came away fairly impressed and yet like, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he was out of the rotation for Brooklyn by the end of the year uh, when push games to shove. So it's like, I always go on the, the assumption that like teams are operating from a, a point of logic. And if a guy if their coach didn't feel like he's good enough to be in the rotation, that usually speaks more to me than it probably does for a lot of other people. But that's just me. I agree. The only thing here is Brooklyn had so many fours. They, they had a lot of guys. Yeah. Might like, have been a squeeze. Yeah. Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith. It's hard to find time for Watanabe when they have all these other players ahead of him. But I, I don't disagree with you either. I think if there were time where he was a, a really that great for them, he would have been playing more. He just wasn't. He just yeah. wasn't. Sure. So uh, let's run through these four players again, like Lyles, really good on offense, just not good on defense, um, but he had a good three point volume, which is important. Strong, true shooting percentage. Uh, Wanabi, you know, we just talked about the kind of mad offense, mad defense, but the three point volume is fantastic. And uh, last year he had a really, he was very efficient. McDaniels, uh, just kind of up and down across the board. It's hard to know who the real Jalen McDaniels is. A very uneven from an efficiency level. And then Justice Winslow, who the offense just isn't there. And I think that's a non-starter for so many reasons. So when you then look at the four players we mentioned and Obi at the ages that they've you know been throughout time, at the current age that Obi is, he's been better than all of these players. So you wouldn't want to sub these players out for Obi. Using Darko's projection, by the way, for anybody listening. Well, this was, uh, yes, this was... Um, more the progression of how they've done. It's not saying what they will do. It's saying where they are right now and tracking their whole career. So I want to talk about Kata Bates Diop and uh, uh, Jason M. uh, Jason Meredith commented on Kata Bates Diop in uh, um, cream. And I, I was waiting to hang on to it, but here it is. So Bates Diop is an interesting option to me. Because, I mean, this was college, so it's, it's well in the past. But the Knicks love their offensive box plus minus. Uh, and he was ninth in college that year. That was the same year as Jalen Brunson uh, year where he was named the best player in basketball. They also both grew up in Illinois. So I'm sure there's a connection there. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Bates-Diop was drafted by Tom Thibodeau in uh, 2018 when Tibbs was uh, president of basketball operations for the Wolves. But then he was traded by Gerson Rosas, who uh, could very easily be the GM of the Knicks. So that's certainly uh, a question. He is a CAA client for whatever that's worth. Happens to be the biggest organization uh, or agency in basketball. Uh, and the question of the Spurs reunion. I mean, you know, getting Wembanyama, he, he's more of a five, obviously. He's, he's Wembanyama, but it's a question of how many players are there because there's Sohan and McDermott's under contract and Zach Collins is still going to be there. He'll be a five, but he might see time at the four. I just don't think a reunion is likely for Kata Bates-Diop. 
so I don't see him necessarily returning to San Antonio, which would open the door. I also don't see him costing the full mid-level exception no. at all because that's not where the talent is. So why are we talking about him? Well, um, he's been really good on defense. He's been a fantastic defender. Uh, if you saw last year, he was in the 80th percentile. On uh, the defensive end, the year before that, he was in the 69th percentile. A few years before that, you know, like he, he was trying to figure stuff out and it just wasn't working. The main question here, because the offense last year was in the 62nd percentile. It's very good. That meets kind of the, hey, high floor offensive player, really high floor defensive player that the Knicks have liked in the past. The problem is that the year before that, he was in the 20th percentile on offense. And then the 13th, the year before that, the 21st and the 11th. So it's really a matter of, is this real? Is the offense tangible? Is the efficiency tangible? I think that could be because he's been an efficient player. So if the Knicks are looking for a 3-4, he's a perfect fit. He does exactly what they need. Now, then we, you know, if you compare it to some of the other players uh, from last year, you can see just where he stacks up. And uh, he had a better season than Obi did. But then if you look at the year before that, um, he didn't. Obi had a much better season. I mean, by far. They had the same defense, but Obi's offense was, gosh, 65 percentage po- or percentile points higher. So it's really a matter of does this player, is he the sort of fit you could have if you moved Obi Toppin? Do you have any KBD thoughts? Yeah, I was just looking up his, his basketball reference because I... I know he played for San Antonio this year. I mean, like real minutes for San Antonio this year. I didn't realize he had averaged quite as many minutes as he did. He averaged almost 22 minutes a game, played 67. He actually started 42 games for them. Um, I think with this, I mean, yeah, you mentioned the efficiency, and that's because he shot a career high, by far a career high, 39% from deep. So two attempts a game. So he's, you know, 39% from deep, but he's making less than a three a game. Um I mean, you watch a couple games of Obi this year, and like the biggest criticism of Obi, I think, for the season was like, is he firing away, you know, too much from on offense at least? Is he firing away too much from deep? And I think a lot of people have speculated, and we don't know whether this is true or not, but like that's what the organization wanted him to do. They wanted him to just be like, listen, anytime you're open, you're going to shoot it, fire away and ready. Because, you know, uh, KBD hasn't done that, doesn't necessarily mean he can't turn into a more high volume three point shooter. I mean, he's a little older for a guy who hasn't been in the league for that long, 27 years old, but you know, development, everybody develops at a different pace. Um, I think he's an interesting, I think he's an interesting name. I'll say that. I think he's an interesting name. And if he turned into a player moving forward, um, it would not, I don't think it would shock anybody. I mean, the guy, he was a, was he actually, yeah, he was a second round pick. But I remember leading up to that draft, there was a lot of talk that he could go in the first round, and then he fell. And I don't, I never really got a good explanation as to why he fell. But that was a late development before that draft, if I recall correctly. And there were a lot of people who thought Minnesota got a steal when they got him at the 18th pick in the second round, and then you know just kind of never really found his footing anywhere. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, I as I was doing my research, I, I'm always curious because Walt Perrin works out so many different players. I thought. Walt Perrin must have worked out KBD. What were his thoughts? And what Walt Perrin said when they asked him questions, because he spoke a lot more candidly when he was with the Jazz, was he saw KBD as a four at the NBA level. So it's kind of, you know, again, it, it's sort of where he's at, but just sort of an interesting thought. Uh, 
we looked at last time the field goal percentage, half court, and transition. So this past season's field goal percentage, I mean, was 72nd percentile. It was really good. Uh, two years earlier, it was 91st percentile. Last year, the, the previous season, the one in between, 38th. Uh, it's pretty good against the around the rim. I mean, my gosh, a few years ago, it was in the, the 98th percentile. It's quite good. Last year's in the 66th percentile. The half court is a tricky thing because he, I mean, like he, he played well here. Don't get me wrong, but it's just a lot of blue uh, for the most part. It's really before last year where the half court started to kick in. And then transition, he's really just been meh. He had a, a few years ago, he was in the 94th percentile. That was a really good year for him three years ago, but it just hasn't been a ton. And we look at the on-off stats. It's a little misleading because he, the defensive side, he was really good. And the offense, the on-off wasn't that significant. But this is impacted by the Spurs and who played when he wasn't on the court. And the Spurs were one of the worst teams in basketball because they wanted Victor Wembanyama and they're going to get him. So it's a little tricky to parse out the on-off here because of how bad his teammates have been. The, the other thing that's tricky with KBD when you're looking at the stats, like you you noted, like the crazy stats from three years ago, you know, he played 245 minutes three years ago. But mm-hmm. my, my point mentioning that is on San Antonio, he went from 245 minutes. And again, that was in his third year as a pro. That was his first year in San Antonio, his third year as a pro. Went from 245 minutes that year to 957 956 minutes um, in 21-22. And then last season, up to 1,452 minutes. You would look at that and on any other team, you would look at that minutes progression and be like, wow, this guy's been earning more and more minutes over his time there. He's clearly a guy on the rise that just took a little bit longer to figure it out. Watch as he did in college, by the way. He didn't he didn't blow up in college at Ohio State until his fourth his senior year. But then you look and you just mentioned it. What you have to ask yourself, well, you have to think about the Spurs priorities. Three years ago, the Spurs were still trying to win games. Even two years ago, like they still had DeJounte Murray on the team two years ago. So like even then they were, like, don't forget, they were making kind of a a uh, a push for the play-in until I forget when exactly they fell out of it. And, and then last year when he got all this time, it's like they were tanking from, from day one. So like how much do you put into the increased minutes? And, the, and oftentimes like guys like will produce more when they get more minutes. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to parse out. That's all. It is. And then if you look at Keita Bates-Diop through Darko, kind of how he's done over time, uh, there's it, the peaks and valleys for sure, but he's gone up. Like There's been significant progress from where he started to where he is. And um, I, I see him continuing to do better based on how this is mapping out. Yeah, Whether sure. or not that's for the Knicks, that's another question, of course. And now, a quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Bird Dogs. Do you want a pair of shorts that aren't just comfortable, but make you look good? Well, Bird Dogs has just what you need. Their stretch khakis are designed to fit slimmer, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. That's because they aren't like regular shorts, which are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Instead, they invented a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khakis, but stretches. Now, you get a way slimmer 
benefit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird dogs also use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all summer long. So I'll ask again, want to look good while being comfortable? Don't hesitate. Head to birddogs.com to check out their full catalog of shorts, pants, and so much more. You can also use the promo code POOL to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. Again, that's birddogs.com. That's bird, B-I-R-D, dogs, D-O-G-S, dot com, and promo code POOL, P-O-O-L, to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good, and that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. So, uh, and this is also where he compares to Obi as well. Well, actually, was this this is Utah. This should, it should be in the orange box, but regardless, it, it's Obi's been, had a better season, um, generally speaking, a better career. Now, if we're looking at, uh, let's look at free agent centers, right? And I know we talked about, don't see Mitch moving, don't see Hartenstein moving, but just a question of kind of players that are out there. Maybe there's something that can be done here. It's Christian Wood, Jakob Pertl, Thomas Bryant, Damian Jones, Nas Reed. Uh, Christian Wood seems like a malcontent everywhere he goes. So uh, I don't think Wood is a is a Tibbs fit. No, nor do I. I see Jakob Pertl staying in Toronto, especially if, if he doesn't. I mean, you know, it's a sign and trade. There's going to be more money for him than the MLE anyway. Yeah. Thomas Bryan is really a non-factor for the Nuggets, and Damian Jones. Really, you know, I I've talked about how I like him in the past. Your boy. There's just not really a need there, but. There could be for Nas Reed. And I want to explore Nas Reed in the basketball sense. That didn't come out the best way, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Nas Reed. Nas Reed turns 24 years old. He uh, was actually signed by Garrison Rosas when he went undrafted in, uh, I want to say, the 2019 draft. Um, uh, he's been in the league for, I want to say, four years. So that's, that checks out. Yeah. He's from New Jersey originally. He's from Asbury Park. And he's an unrestricted free agent because... Rosas, uh, I believe he was the one who signed him to a contract that now makes him an unrestricted free agent. Let's talk about the Timberwolves. Uh, they're screwed. Financially, they're <laughs> screwed. There is no easy way of putting it. Uh, the salary cap is $134 million. The luxury tax is 162 They have $139.6 million guaranteed. 
Um, they have 11 players on the roster, but nine with guaranteed money. They have Nikhil Alexander-Walker as a restricted free agent, and they have Reed as an unrestricted free agent. Normal circumstances, they should be able to run it back. Next year, it's tricky because they have to give Anthony Edwards an extension for the 2024-25 season. Jaden McDaniels is going to get an extension. Not Jalen, Jaden McDaniels. Carl Anthony too. Towns has his massive Supermax deal kicking in. That'll start at $50 million or so. Rudy Gobert is going to be earning $43 million that year. Mike Conley uh, and Kyle Anderson will be unrestricted free agents, but I expect the Timberwolves to try to extend them uh, if they can. I mean, they can't extend Anderson, so I should say they'd extend Conley um, due to early bird rights versus bird rights and not having the bird rights this season. But with all that being said, that adds up. And it's why the Wolves are looking to move Carl Anthony Towns and might do it this year uh, or next year, depending on what the price is. So it, there's a there's something to be said of that they might be able to pry Nas Reed or that, that the, you know, another team could pry Nas Reed away. Also, if you're investing $43 million in Rudy Gobert, are you also going to invest money in Nas Reed? I, I think there's reason to be skeptical that Minnesota does that. Yeah, I mean... I have a big newsletter coming out on uh, the Wolves uh, uh, today as people are listening to this on Monday. I get into how they, as you put it, are screwed financially. I, th- They have 90 some odd million dollars a year, essentially, invested moving forward in the center position aside from Nasri. So I don't think he is the guy that they are going to go like put themselves in this paint themselves in this kind of a corner for given all of the other uh, things that they have on their plate coming up. Agreed. So let's just look at Nasri quickly. Uh, he's kind of all over the place in terms of offensive uh, EPM and defensive EPM, but in a good way, right? Like rookie season played 30 out of 64 games, um, but he was in the 70th percentile on offense, 86th on defense the next year. 56th on offense, 61st on defense. The year after that, 46th on offense, 77th on defense. And this past year, 73rd on offense and 48th on defense. So there's something to be said of if he puts it together, you're looking at a really good two-way player. And he's efficient as hell, right? Like he's been in the last three years, he's been in the 69th percentile or higher uh, in terms of true shooting percentage. And with effective field goal percentage, he's been... Really good there too, 65th percentile or higher. So this is someone who, especially because of how many threes he shoots, I was very high volume. That's this over six threes for 36 minutes last year. I mean, that is a really, really high volume for a center. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Borman, he's a great Timberwolves follow. He was on uh, the Strickland Podcast Network with Schwinn, and they talked a little bit about it. After the All-Star break, I believe it was that Reed led the league in points per 36. So... Huh. He was a good scorer. Uh, that's a great shooter. He shoots a lot. He does. <laughs> he's, he's not he does. <laughs> and here's the other thing that's fascinating. The block percentage has been really good. I mean, he's he blocks a ton of shots. Um, and that's something that is important to the Knicks. But as we keep kind of looking through this, if you compare him with Obi and you look at on uh, as part of basketball index or b-ball index, I should say, uh, if you look at spotting up versus true shooting percentage, Nas Reed has always been, as we mentioned, uh, an efficient player. Obi has had one season of really strong efficiency, 
but he wasn't a great spot up shooter that year. Um, there are a couple of years where Obi was a really good spot up shooter, or I should say better than what he was in the 2022 season. Uh, Reed has just been more efficient in those years too. And when you scale it back a little bit more and just look at overall shooting talent that B-Ball Index has versus the defensive end, uh, it's not really a debate. I mean, again, Reed continues to be a really efficient player. Uh, and the defense is is either the same or better in pretty much every single year except for one, which is Obi's second year where he played really well. So it kind of comes down to then you know, looking at other factors and the advanced numbers don't like Nas Reed. A lot of cleaning the glass is not a fan of him. Um, yes, we did talk about the efficiency. He's good at the rim. Half court has not been good. Uh, there's a lot of blue there. Same thing with transition. And again, it's, it's a question of the position too. Well, this is where the position comes into play. We've talked in the past about Julius Randle and Obi Toppin and how they don't play together. Last year, the Knicks had 7,873 possessions during the regular season. That's according to Cleaning the Glass. Cleaning the Glass filters out garbage time. Uh, Julius Randle, of those 7,873 possessions, was on the court for 5,453 of them. Okay, so 5,453 of 7,873. Of those 5,453 possessions, Randle shared the court with Obi Toppin for 145 of them. 145 of 5,453. Yeah, and I think we we know the reasons for that. Tibbs didn't trust the defense. Yeah. Right. Uh, and in those 145 possessions, the Knicks were in the 83 yeah, percentile on offense uh, and the first percentile on defense. Uh, and first is not good here. No, it's not. It's bad. It was a negative 9.7 net results, uh, 11th percentile. So you then look at Carl Anthony Towns and Nas Reed. And last year, the Timberwolves played Cat and Reed for 181 possessions. Uh, of course, it was tricky because Cat missed a lot of the regular season. And that pairing actually finished really poorly. It was a negative 8.8 difference. I know if you're looking at this and it's you're like 114.4 minus 105.5, the defense versus the offense should be 8.9. I want to tell you, that's just the rounding that Cleaning the Glass does and it's 8.8. Regardless, that duo didn't really play with a significant starting five or a consistent starting five. The starting five that got the most minutes with Nas Reed, the, the five-man unit that got the most minutes with Cat and Nas Reed. Uh, it was McLaughlin, Prince, Anderson, Towns, and Reed. 16 possessions. That's nothing. Um, but if you go back... And 181 year, is nothing, even more right, generally. Right. And, and if you go back to the previous year, it also wasn't good, and it was a larger sample size. But I think this also says a lot about Cat in terms of he's not really a four, he's not really a five. Uh, he can do things well at both positions, but you don't necessarily want him to be at either of those spots. <laughs> but again, it's not it's not necessarily encouraging, right? So it's really the matter here of if you're the Knicks, do you believe that Nas Reed, who has slimmed down quite a bit since he entered the league, can be more of a four who can see minutes at the five? Because the one thing that they were really missing in the playoffs was the shooting aspect. Yep. And Obi struggled with it. But this is kind of the marriage of convenience thought with Tibbs, which is, look, you're here and we're going to have to build around you. And we could talk about how the best coach is the ones who could be a lot more malleable. But Tibbs loves his rim protection. Yep. And so there's the prevailing thought of, can you get Nas to be more of a four on the offensive end um, and a five on the defensive end? Or other way, you know, like, can it be the other way around? Um, can you have him be versatile with Julius, assuming that Randall is still here? 
that's really the kind of the thoughts here. So uh, just to wrap it up, age before beauty. We talked about the importance of the Knicks finding players who are younger. The Knicks would actually be getting younger if they uh, moved Obi out and moved Nas Reed in. Um, are there minutes available? It's hard to find a guard like DiVincenzo or Brown or any of those other players we mentioned to fit in without moving quickly. Um, it's easier to see why they would move Toppin and then who the replacement would be. Would it be Keita Bates-Diop who didn't... Like he, he played a lot, but a lot of those minutes were when they were tanking, when Sohan was injured. It's easy to see how he would fit into a better, smaller role on a contender. Um, and some with Reed, he'd see around the same minutes, possibly more. The question, of course, is if you get Nas Reed, what does that mean for Hartenstein? And the difficulty with Hartenstein is you can't extend him this year. So if you get him, are you now thinking of flipping him at the deadline to get you a better four? There are a lot of moving pieces here. Um, and then there's the final question of the Knicks sign someone. Are they doing it because they're continuous soup or are they doing it because they want that player to be legitimately a piece moving forward? Can they sign that player and turn another player into continuous soup um, where they're expendable and, and kind of get from there? So a lot of different avenues. Last thing on the continuous soup aspect, and we got Fred Katz coming on the pod uh, this week, so I'm going to ask him about it. He had a note in his uh, column to end the week for The Athletic talking about how under the new CBA, um, it's this is not confirmed, but league sources indicate the possibility that the mid-level exception can, if you don't use it, it can be used as a trade exception. And the reason I want to ask Fred about that is I couldn't quite tell from how he described it is, is that something like if you use your mid-level exception and you give a three-year deal to someone, that means you don't have access to using the mid-level as a trade exception for all three years? Does it recycle after each year, like as the actual mid-level does, assuming you don't you know, go over the tax or whatever? Um, so I want to ask about that because there, there, there are going to potentially be more avenues to utilize this salary slot, let's call it, because it is essentially a salary slot, um, it, as a way to you know propel yourselves moving forward if you're the Knicks and and you know give yourself just another tool in your in your toolbox. But again, that's kind of an uncertainty at this point because and the other part and the other big uncertainty, which we've said in 18 different ways, but it bears repeating one more time. It is impossible to have a meaning truly meaningful discussion about the mid level without knowing what trades are going to be executed because right now they have a full rotation, they have no minutes available at any of the positions that we talked about. So you know we'll. Um, We'll perhaps revisit this uh, if and when uh, the Knicks, you know, swing a swing a big trade. Indeed. All right. Well, this was good. Look, we told you this was going to be short and sweet. <laughs> Jeremy, um, you're the man. Uh, thank you for making this happen. Um, we will uh, be back with more fun and games, like I mentioned. Uh, Fred Katz coming on the pod uh, later this week. All kinds of other uh, fun stuff coming up, and then. Before you know it, oh, cream on Tuesday, live cream with uh, with with Jeremy, um, and we are we are less. <laughs> Jeremy, that didn't come out right. No, no, um, we are less than we're a week and a half. As people will be listening to this, we're a week and a half away from the freaking draft. Mm -hmm. I mean, life comes at you fast, man. So uh, we're gonna probably crown an NBA champ pretty soon, and then everybody knows once the draft gets here, that's when. Uh, trade season heats up as well. So um, don't forget, last thing, check uh, check out Chris and Prez. We're on the last episode of Draft Class. 
Um, that is, uh, I'm going to be doing some driving later today. I plan to listen to that then. I'm excited for that. Um, that's it, everybody. Thank you. Take care. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace out.